Well, let's give our attention to God's word as we read from 1 Peter. Again, I'll begin in chapter 1, verse 24. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And indeed, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Well, what a blessing to be worshiping here this morning. How gracious God has been to provide this meeting place for us as a congregation. 25 years ago, if anyone would have said that God would one day give us a building in perhaps the most prominent place in Russell, how many of us would have believed it? Perhaps to our shame, but how many of us would have believed it? So this morning, we should remember the grace of God in providing this place for us. And we should thank him. And we should also remember the decades of prayer, the planning, the generosity, the sacrificial labor of God's people in so many ways. 
and we should thank them as that's appropriate. But this morning at this first worship service here, from God's word, we will be reminded of what is much, much more important than this building. The disciples of Jesus one day needed a similar reminder. Do you remember? As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another, said Jesus. Everyone will be thrown down. That was the most special building in the whole world at that time. It was the temple in Jerusalem. But Jesus so emphatically taught his disciples not to be absorbed with physical stones and beautiful buildings. Because what was true of the temple in the history of salvation, later in A.D. 70, not one stone was left on another as the Romans sacked the city of Jerusalem. What was true of the temple will be true of every building that people build. Sooner or later, it will crumble. Last Sunday was September 11th, the anniversary of the Twin Towers, those symbols of Western culture in so many ways, and that's obviously why they were attacked, but those symbols of Western culture and society crumbled to the ground. There's a lesson in that. But what is true of buildings is also true of people. And what applies physically is meant to teach us something spiritually. Because the magnificent stones of the Old Testament temple were never meant to be an end in and of themselves. That building and especially what happened within its walls, pointed to something much greater, pointed to someone much greater. You know, as I was preparing for this message this morning, last week, September 8th, Liz Truss, the new British prime minister, made this comment as she spoke on the occasion of the death of Queen Elizabeth. This is what she said. And I'm preparing this message from 1 Peter chapter 2. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock. Well, what now? Don't you just say that? Well, what now then? She's dead. She's gone. And I wonder what Queen Elizabeth II herself would have thought about someone making that kind of comment. I hope 
that she would have said, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. I'm not the rock. I'm not the rock. Beloved, on this occasion of our first worship service, it is vital that beyond the gracious gift of this building, we think and meditate together this morning on the greatest gift that God has given this world. And so this morning, our subject, our theme is the living stone, the glorious rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this afternoon, contrary to the bulletin where I made a mistake, and that's last week's sermon title, this afternoon, living stones. Again, from this passage, but the gracious, gracious privilege that we have as the people of God to be called living stones in union with Jesus, the living stone. And so this morning, the living stone, the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. You know, as Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter, he must have remembered that day the disciples tried to draw Jesus' attention to the stones of the temple. He must have often thought about his own name, Peter, which means rock. And what Jesus had said about Peter's profession of faith. What about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I think Peter must have also remembered all the Old Testament scriptures he had learned as a child and loved as a man of God. Genesis 49, 24, from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Deuteronomy 32, 31, indeed their rock is not like our rock. Or so many passages in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock, my Savior. And in Isaiah 44, do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. And so with all that in mind, Peter, carried along by the Holy Spirit, writes these words here that we've heard this morning, these words about Jesus. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You know, boys and girls, Jesus, you know, has many names and titles in the Bible, as well as many pictures and imagery which tells us about his identity, who he is, and what he's done, his work as our Savior. And here's another one. And here is one that at first glance sounds a little strange, especially if you've never heard it before. But as we think about it from the Bible, it is a glorious picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Jesus called in this passage? The living stone. The living stone. Now, as you hear that, don't you think a stone is one of the most unlivingest things in all of creation? You know, when R.C. Sproul taught theology and taught the Bible and taught the doctrine of creation out of nothing, and as he was trying to help people understand what nothing is, and even to say that makes your brain hurt, nothing is, but this is what he came up with. He, what is nothing? He used to tell his students, nothing is what rocks dream about when they sleep. A rock is such an unliving thing. And so here is a very striking way to describe Jesus. He is the living stone. The Old Testament language that we've heard a little bit already this morning that speaks of God as our rock speaks of what is solid and sure that which is substantial and unshakable. And because that is true of a rock, the special use of rocks or stones as a foundation makes sense. And so it's not just a rock as a rock, but a rock as a foundation, something upon which to build or stand. And so Peter is quoting here the Old Testament in Isaiah 28 that we heard this morning and Psalm 118. Jesus is a stone because he is the cornerstone. Verse 6 here in 1 Peter 2 says he is the main angle, literally. Or verse 7, he is the head of the corner. In the King James Version, Psalm 118.22 says, The stone which the builders rejected or refused is become the head stone of the corner. Now, the word head there in Hebrew can literally mean the top or the upper part. And so sometimes the imagery there is of a capstone, what's called a capstone, which is the central stone in an arch, which holds the whole arch together. But that word head can also mean chief or foremost. Like we might say of a student, he's the head of the class or she was the head of the class. And so this is the most important stone as the headstone, the cornerstone. 
And that's the imagery in Isaiah 28. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. A surveyor or a builder today might call it a site benchmark. Before the days of laser levels and GPSs, a stone like this was the most important stone to lay to make sure everything else was square and level in the building. And then to be, of course, part of that foundation for the building. The whole building took its reference points from stones like this laid by expert builders. And what Peter is saying is that Jesus is the living stone, the cornerstone that is the sure and solid foundation for his people, for the church. 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The church, Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And Jesus, speaking of himself in Matthew 7, words that we've heard this morning, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is the foundation for the church, the people of God. It takes all its dimensions, all its shape, all its safety and security and stability from him, from him alone. But unlike a stone foundation for a physical building, Peter says here that Jesus is a living stone. Why is all this talk about a foundation for my life so important? Well, listen, Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone. And as soon as Peter uses that word living, our ears should prick up. Because we can go through life thinking about all kinds of things. But as soon as Peter uses that word living, we should think, this is a matter of life and death. These are the two great realities, life and death. As soon as that word living is mentioned, stop thinking, in a sense, then, about your finances and your relationships and your schoolwork and your job hunting or whatever it is. And just for a moment, think this, life and death. You've been given a life to live, and it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. How often do we stop and think that way? Life and death. But as soon as Peter uses that word, that's what we should, that's the way our minds should start thinking. Wait, this, this is life and death. This is life and death. Yes, we have physical life, but we also have a soul. And the Bible tells us that because of Adam's sin, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. So death is coming to all men. And we're born dead spiritually. 
And all of us one day must die physically and face a judgment, an eternity, either in heaven or hell. Life and death. Jesus is the living stone. This isn't just flowery, poetic language for the sake of it. This is so important, so vital, because it has to do with life and death. Physically, spiritually, and eternally. How is Jesus the living stone? Well, first and foremost, this surely points us to Jesus as the resurrected Lord and Savior. Here is a living stone. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. But on the third day, according to the scriptures, a stone was rolled away. You remember the story. A stone was rolled away from a tomb because Jesus, the living stone, is alive forevermore. The grave is empty. Jesus is raised from the dead, the only one who has conquered the grave. The living one, victorious over sin and death and hell. He said to the Apostle John in the Revelation, I am the living one. I was dead and look now, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. He's the living one being raised from the dead, and he's the living one because he holds life in his hands. He told Martha, the sister of Lazarus who had died in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the only one who can give life, true life, abundant life, and eternal life. He's the only one who can give people a living hope. You heard about that, I understand, a couple of weeks ago in a sermon. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 1.3. Jesus said of himself, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. He is the living stone. No wonder we read that Jesus is called the living stone. And he's described further, isn't he? And it's so wonderful to, to see, chosen by God and precious to him. Chosen by God and precious to him. You know, this good news for sinners, this good news of the blessing of forgiveness and life is something that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit ordained from all eternity. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake, First Peter 1.20. This glorious plan to save a people for the glory of God by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was chosen by God, appointed by him from all eternity to do that. And as the God-man in his perfect and full human nature, Jesus did what Adam didn't do. Jesus kept the law perfectly, 
And Jesus also did what no one else could ever do. He paid the penalty for the sin of others to set them free. The Lamb of God, the great substitute Savior. And so Jesus, the living stone, is precious to God the Father. He's precious to him in his sinless life. This is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. And Jesus is precious to the Father in his loving sacrifice for sinners. Jesus says in John 10, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. The living stone chosen by God, precious to him. You know, we're surrounded this morning by the stones, as it were, of this new building. But what should be our focus? What is our hope, our trust, our comfort, our confidence? It must always be on this chosen by God and precious to him living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing to have a living stone foundation for your life like Jesus. But you see, having that hope and trust and comfort and confidence is something that must never be taken for granted. Because Peter uses another word, doesn't he, to describe Jesus, the living stone, in this passage. Chosen by God and precious to him. But what else? Rejected. Rejected by men. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, Psalm 118.22. Peter applied this in his preaching in Acts 4. Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, the healing of the lame man. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by, what, by which we must be saved. The religious leaders of Christ's day rejected Jesus. The crowds heard him preach and saw him live and do miracles. Yet for the most part, they rejected him as Messiah. And that's the story of the history of man. The history of humanity, isn't it? What will you do with Jesus? Who do you say that he is? He's the living stone, precious to God, chosen by him, and yet he is rejected by people. I read recently a statement by the British philosopher Bertrand Russell, who died in 1970. Listen to what he said, and it's a bit tricky language, but just listen to what he's getting at. That man, humanity, is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving. Everything's just chance and random. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental actions of Adam's 
that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And now listen, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, according to Russell, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths. Now listen, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation be safely built. I've never heard more contradictory words in my life. You hear what he said? What's your hope? According to Bertrand Russell and the philosophies of this world. Here it is. The firm foundation of unyielding despair. That's the firmest foundation that you can have. And in a sense, he's right. Apart from Jesus. What do you have? You have the firm foundation of unyielding despair. Unless you're just going through your life, sticking your head in the sand and not really looking around you or looking inside you and looking at culture and seeing where it goes apart from Christ and apart from God and apart from his world, his word. That's what you have. You have a living stone in Jesus Christ. Or you have the firm foundation of unyielding despair. How thankful we should be this morning that we don't just have a human philosophy, but a God-given, God-accomplished, God-revealed gospel to build our lives upon. What a tragic reality to live and to die rejecting the living stone. Because that stone imagery has a double meaning, doesn't it? It's either a foundation, a cornerstone, or a stumbling stone. And that's true of Jesus and all of humanity. He either is the foundation of your life or he's a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed, Matthew 21, 42. This is the predestination of unbelief. Verse 8, shame and eternal condemnation is the only future for anyone whose life is not built on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The twin towers of self-righteousness and self-atonement, self-forgiveness must crumble. But by God's sovereign grace, not all reject Many believe. Many believe. Do you believe this morning? How do you know if you believe? How do you know if you really believe and trust in Christ? Well, here's one evidence from this passage. Verse 7. 
Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Is Jesus precious to you? I'm not asking if if you've got your life all sorted out. I'm not asking about how together your family is or your life is. I'm not asking if your life is free from doubts and difficulties. But here's what I do ask from this part of God's word. Is Jesus precious to you? Yes, I sin. I know it. Not as well as I do. I should, but I know it. But Jesus is precious to me. Yes, I've stumbled in many ways. But Jesus is precious to me. Well, in light of all this, let me just say, here's the question for us all. As we've come to this new building this morning, have you come to Jesus? That's the question that we should all be asking in light of verse 4. That's how this passage starts. As you come to him, the living stone, have you come to Jesus? Is it possible that you have just come to a building this morning. Maybe just come out of curiosity to see what was done to an old grocery store. Have you come this morning just because, well, this is more of a proper church? A school isn't a church. This is a bit better. At least it has half a steeple. Stained glass would have been nice. If you're just coming to a building because a building is a church. Have you just come because there's a nursery and a kitchen and classrooms that make things a lot easier? In many ways they do, of course. But have you come to him? Have you come to Jesus? Let me remind you again, friends, what I know you know. A building never saved anyone's soul. A building never forgave anyone's sin. A building never dealt with a guilty conscience before a holy God. A building never made anyone right with God. Only Jesus can do that. Only trusting in him can do that. Now to you who believe... This stone is precious. The Bible tells us that there is no longer any holy place on earth. Pilgrimages to holy buildings merit nothing before God. Jesus never said, go there or come here in terms of a place. But he did say, come to me. He warned people, even Bible reading people, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. But he also so graciously and so lovingly and so gently said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Have you come to Jesus? And if you have come to him, keep coming to him. Keep going to him. We will come to this building, Lord willing, for many things. Worship services, fellowship meals, Bible classes, weddings, youth groups, men's groups, women's groups, boys' groups, girls' groups, outreach events. And it will be great to do those things more easily and more conveniently with our own building. But as we come to those things, we must still always be coming to Jesus first and foremost. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. Our worship is nothing without him. Our evangelism is nothing without him. Our discipleship, our fellowship is nothing without him. How easily we can forget that. Friends, ultimately a building will not help your marriage or change your spouse. A building will not transform your son or daughter into who you want them to be or even more importantly, who God wants them to be. Only God changes people. A building cannot build the church. A building cannot build the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. A building cannot overcome your fears and anxieties. A building cannot comfort you in your losses and sadnesses. A building cannot fill you with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the spirit of a living Savior, Jesus, can. Jesus says, come to me. That's why a pastor, elder, or godly Christian friend will always give this advice to you. Above all else, go to him. Go to Jesus. That is why we just don't say to people in the community, come to church. We pray and urge people, come to Jesus. A building cannot make you more like Christ, but Christ can. And he does. You also, like living stones. We'll pick that up this afternoon. But for now, listen again to God, who says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame.